What is up, everybody? And welcome to the Real Talks podcast. My name is Mike Singletary. And I am Frank Chen, and we are going to be your hosts. And what we're going to do is break down what it takes to live life on your terms through entrepreneurship, specifically real estate investing. So we're going to hit it hard, the good, the bad, and the real, because that climb, as any entrepreneur knows, is never smooth. So let's get real. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast. We're excited with our guest. Um, he is truly a living legend and nationally recognized as the real estate expert and trainer with over 40 plus years of experience. That in itself is such an accomplishment. And he's both dabbled in residential and commercial properties and a 30-year history of hard money lending and brokering. Right? His experiences include personally buying and selling over 3,500 single-family houses and a staggering $300 million in commercial property deals with student partners all over America. Now, he is known as uh, the guy, the godfather of real estate education. Not just real estate investing, y'all. You have to understand. Or virtual. Not yeah. virtual. This is godfather of real estate real education. The beginning of time. The big bang of real estate education. And his really the fascination behind the fastest, easiest way to make money in real estate on terms. Buying houses on terms, right? And we're going to dive into why he thinks the other strategies are just bleh compared to buying houses on terms. Now, He's personally created dozens of home study products on topics ranging from buying, selling houses to becoming a professional speaker, as well as created dozens of live training events, uh, most notably his live four-day quick start real estate school. And he's personally taught to tens of thousands all over the U.S. and Canada. I feel like we got to throw in Canada. And he's also shared stages with people like Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, Rudy Giuliani, Tony Robbins, Larry King, Dr. Phil, and many others. He's also the author of six best-selling books sold online and in stores, and his podcast, The Mentor Podcast, currently has over 200-plus thousand downloads. And what I love about the people that we bring on here is he's not just a businessman and an investor. He's also a husband, a grandfather, and a leader of his family. He's married to his wife, Beverly, of 55 years. He's produced over four children, nine grandchildren, and 14 great-grandchildren. Man, this guy has accomplished a lot. Favorite pastimes include, and this is what I love about him, he loves fishing in Alaska and traveling uh, around the country in his 30-foot uh, RV with Beverly and his two golden retrievers, Ruby and Goldie. And I think it's really cool what they include in his bio here is when pe many people ask him, you know, why do you continue to teach after 40 years? And his answer was, well, first, and make no mistake about it, I get paid well for teaching. There's that honesty. <laughs> it's not a mercy mission, and I'm not a nonprofit organization. Second, I thrive on this work. Golf, fishing, and diving get old quick, and making millionaires never gets old. It's oh, fun, and I love awesome, doing it. So it's with great, my great pleasure to bring on Mr. Ron Legrand. Welcome to the show, Ron. How are you, brother? You're hired. So now, now you're doing all my intros for me. And it's okay. If I'm a public MC uh, or a private one just to you, I'm okay with that. Um, but I got to tell you, Ron, one of the things I'm, and most, many people don't know this, but I work with Ron. Um, he's a client of mine and I've been doing this for a couple of years. And what's really fascinated me is I, my, my stint in this business has only been 14 years. You have been, you amassed me by a few decades. And one of the things I've always been incredibly like, I wanted to know is like, how have you survived in the education space so successfully um, in 40 years? We, I've seen so many people come and go, uh, you know, with, with FTC problems, you know, you know, 
guarantees all these people ending up in jail and it's crazy and i feel like you've done such a good job maintaining a such positive reputation well i think largely it's because i've been doing it for so long i didn't go off in 10 different directions as times change chasing shiny uh, shiny objects uh and largely because i still do the business i'll just talk about the business i buy and sell houses a couple of months, I'm not killing them, but I don't want to kill them. But I want to stay current, and that's the only way I can stay current, is to keep doing what I'm talking about. And we don't sell crap, as you well know. So, <laughs> that is I very too, true. I've too have seen a lot of people marched off in handcuffs over my time as well. But And there's a good lesson right there. If you got a product that you are all in on, you like, and, then, and you take care of your customers, then you don't have to worry about things like that. It's something so simple yet so difficult for some is just yeah. to serve your end buyer, right? Uh, uh, sometimes greed overrides common sense, if you ask me. You're not wrong there, my friend. And one of the things I also like think a lot of people can benefit from today, and I'd love to dive into right out of the gate, you know, is team management, right? I know you, with most people have a, running a business like there's such high turnaround, and I think it's just the demand that's needed from certain team members to run a operation as big as yours. You've had people sticking with you for 10, sometimes 20 plus years. You know, what's yeah. your secret to maintaining that culture? I don't show up for work. <laughs> you don't get in the way. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't. I come in here to teach and um, got a great team running the whole show. So I don't have to. And you're right. Several of them have been with me for 20 years and several more right behind that. So a long time ago, I chose to um, let other people do what they do best and get out of the way, let them. And every entrepreneur that's going to succeed is going to learn that sooner or later. Because all my people do what they do better than I could do. And many of them do what I couldn't do. Uh, so I have no choice but to let those that do, do it. And I'll I'll focus on what I need to focus on, let them focus on what they need to focus on. That same philosophy goes with me in any business that I do, including my real estate. I don't do hardly anything, frankly. It's all done by uh, my partner acquisitionist. And every business I've ever, I had six restaurants. You didn't see me in there with an apron, I can promise you that. So, <laughs> and that's I'm, awesome, Frank. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, no, you go for it. No, I, I want you to say, I go all day with Ron. So go I, for I, it. I tell you, I haven't really met you yet. My name's Mike, and it's great. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, listen, what is, I know that you have a pretty wide skill set because you wouldn't have lasted this long without it. Right. But you said that you just want to stay in your zone of genius. What is that right now for you? You mean, what am I doing right now? What do you do that you really, that, that, you know, fuels you right now? Sorry, I'm struggling with my voice today, but, uh, I, uh, I teach and I, uh, create from time to time, but I am retired basically. So. That just means that I teach when I'm needed and jump in and create chaos when I'm not needed. <laughs> but, uh, honestly, I cut down my travel considerably. I even sold my plane earlier this year. That's right. I didn't need, need it that much. And um, I'm still wondering if I did the right thing there, though. Especially every time I have to go to an airport. Uh, I spend my time just doing what I want to do, honestly. I, I tell all my students, uh, I want you to get to the point to where you wake up in the morning, you don't have anything to do that you don't want to do. And uh, I've reached that point. But to be honest, we all got to do something. And we all all need something to look forward to. And once you're retired, a lot of the folks trying to retire don't realize it. But 
when they were working, it, it was that station they were trying to get to when they retired. They uh, have to go find something to do where they do nothing. And unfortunately, a lot of them just do nothing and they'll actually live very long thereafter because I think the daily drunk ride of using your brain, hopefully not your body, but your brain keeps you younger and, um, and uh, you live longer that way, from my experience anyway. Well, you seem to navigate one of the toughest industries for decades, right? And we're, I mean, probably, you probably can't list a lot of people that's made it as long as you as far as in this industry. What was it about you that really propelled you through the ups and downs? Because we know there were both of them. Well, you, everybody knows about 2008, September, what happened. That's the biggest down that we've had. That changed the world. Changed the world, still changed the world. And I was in the middle of commercial property right then. <laughs> 31, uh, 21 developments going on, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and uh, I've seen, been through six cycles. That's been the biggest one. But we sure won't forget that one because in one day we had to lay off a, a, a large percentage of our staff and uh, send them home. And that wasn't easy, but we had no choice. Cash flow was very, very thin. And that's when you actually have to put your heads together and focus on not only getting more money, but paying out less. And we had no choice, but we survived it, but it wasn't easy. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to go through it again. And I'm, you know, I'm just as afraid of the future as everybody else is right now. So um, I tell everybody, if you take care of the cash flow in your house, you won't have to worry about what's going on in the White House because there's nothing to do about it anyway, but vote. So I, I focus my time on trying to get people to get their cash flow way up and get them in a position of real, a real financial security, not waiting on a paycheck. And, you know, that comes right into wholesalers. Frank, you know a ton of them as well as I do. That's right. We're in a mastermind group, and um, they're making money, don't doubt it, but they're paying maximum taxes, short-term capital gains, and most of them are probably spending the money as fast as they get it. There's got to be a time when every single one of them are going to look back and ask themselves, I wish I'd have kept about half of those houses that I throw it away for small checks and because now they have that residual income and all the benefits of owning real estate, appreciation, depreciation, uh, debt pay down. And, and uh, in that case, I, le I lease option all the houses I get. Well, all the nicer ones. I'm wholesaling and lease optioning right now. Um, but I want the lease option deals because I want the long-term growth. I want the wealth. You're not going to get wealth out of wholesaling houses. Uh, you know, you and I both most people make quite a big money at it, but whether that turns into the wealth or not, I'm not sure. That is such an important thing that you just mentioned here. And, you know, Mike and I were kind of talking about this before is like, we know you just through your reputation, but, you know, assuming those who are listening in, who are born after 2000, I was doing some crazy, you know, math was like 23 year olds. If you're born after 2000, I'm like, holy crap. Uh, they're getting bombarded by things like on HGTV, the glamorous side of buying and making, you know, your dream home to sell maximum profits yeah. or, you know, to wholesale properties and build this huge machine without the really honest truth behind what it takes to build wealth. You know, what advice would you have for our younger listeners, you know, who are kind of at that pivotal point of where should I get, where should I begin? Well, for one thing, you should not take anything to light on those reality shows because there is zero reality in them. Uh, they don't show all the cost in between. Yeah. Uh, and people get into that and they pay too much for a property and you wind up sometimes losing money. But uh, that show is doing more harm than good. One thing they do is always they bring them into our world and they want to know more. Uh, but you can't get your education watching TV shows. And uh, you're not going to get it watching the internet either. 
because, I mean, uh, I watch the internet every once in a while, like tune into some of these folks that are teaching real estate and uh, makes me want to throw up. <laughs> but teaching stuff that is the opposite of reality will get yeah. people in trouble. Like that burr thing is so popular out there. I have two big problems with that. Tell us. R, 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 something. Buy, <laughs> buy, rehab, rent, renovate, refinance. And then re and redo it, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I have two big problems with that. Number one, they're teaching people to go to the bank and borrow money, get 80% loan, put up a big down payment, and put all that debt on, your, on you personally to go buy a property. And then, so my biggest problem is I don't rent properties. I lease option them collect thousands of dollars upfront non-refundable deposit and pass all my repairs onto my tenants, thus driving a bunch of revenue that are my bottom line and no calls to unplug toilets. Plus I get thousands. I get five to 10% down when I put people in a lease purchase house. That's non-refundable option deposit. They don't buy, they forfeit it. If they buy to get a credit toward their down payment. Okay, so I'm never gonna rent a house. I've done enough of them. I had one time I had 276 rentals at the same time 200 of them were HUD tenants. What a glorious time that was in my life. <laughs> Did you get rid of those or what? Yeah, all over time. Yeah. I had dark hair back then, so <laughs> they took it away. Hey, you still so, have hair, so that's okay. That's good. Uh, the second biggest problem is that refinance thing, and that's the one that kills me, man. I, I teach people, I pound on them, do not go personally guarantee debt to buy a house. It's foolish to do so. It can only lead to trouble. Because you can buy all of them you want without guaranteed debt. So why would you go on the bank and qualify for a loan and put it on your credit report and on your financial statement? And, of course, some of them down there got 15, 20 loans or more because they might be under the false illusion that more money you borrow from the bank the more the bank wants to lend you. Opposite of the truth. Opposite. Totally opposite. And that equity means absolutely nothing to the bank. Nothing. They went 2000, through 2008 as well. They were, that equity gives them no credit. Uh, it's the debt that they're worried about and the fact that it's personally guaranteed worries me because we've all been through what happens when people guarantee debt and things go wrong. I mean, it's hard to find somebody that had a bunch of real estate in 2008 that didn't pay a horrible price, including me. And so with your younger people that you mentioned, they don't believe it will happen to them. They don't believe it will happen to them. You know, at the time we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're shooting the show today, you know, we've seen a huge swing in interest rates, right? And I think yeah. it's what I love about the strategy you have is it, it feels like it's, it runs completely independent of interest rates, right? Because we're kind of buying on our own terms and we're selling it on our own terms, correct? Well, our business does. Your, your business really specifically, thing. right? And yeah. I would love to dive into that a little bit more because regardless of people hearing the word lease options and they may understand at a very surfacey level what that is, um, when we say you're buying on terms, can we dive in a little bit deeper on like what that means for the layman? There's only three. Either I'm going to buy it with owner financing, which means the seller takes back a note, or 75% of the time, I simply start making their payments to the bank, but technically owe them money, I buy it on a wraparound mortgage. Or I'm going to take it subject to, which means that they're just going to deed it to me and walk away, or I'm going to lease it with an option to buy I buy most of mine with owner financing and that whether they're free and clear, or whether they have a debt on them, but that doesn't mean I'm making a seller payment unless it's free and clear, then I've had no choice. And that's without personal guarantee. I don't do anything that requires personal guarantee. Then of course, when you take it subject to, there's no guarantee anyway, they're just taking over their loan. And then of course, when you lease purchase, 
you better be leasing an LLC and not your own name. So I teach people, here's, you know, here's how we make money, but we better protect it along the way and we better eliminate our risk by not guaranteeing debt. So the worst can happen is you lose a house that you don't have personally guaranteed debt on. That's the worst can happen. And frankly, you're foolish if you let that happen. Mm -hmm. So it's a hard lesson for people coming into real estate. I mean, almost all of them think I got to go bank and borrow money. No, you don't. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, until, uh, you got to say it seven times before it sinks in. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're hundred percent correct on that one. Yep. So we are, you know, there's always that due on sale and I know it's a very small percentage of it. How do you navigate through that? Well, how do you tell me to navigate through it? Cause I know the bank's not going to take the property back as long as somebody's making the payment. They'd rather have COVID than take a property back. The worst thing in the world they want to do, create a, create a defaulted asset. And by the way, you see more and more banks closing. Just had one close yesterday. Well, they close because their defaulted assets uh, are, are not proportionate to their to the capital, and the government will either make them close or, or sell and make them sell to somebody else. It's been happening. It's been happening last ten years, but they haven't been closing. They've just been been sold. Banks do not want defaulted assets. In fact, they'll bend over their backwards to not get a house. As long as somebody willing to make payment on it, they have no choice if they're not making a payment. So I ain't worried about the banks. They're not going to call the loan due because of a due on sale clause that's in it. They never have in my 40 years, 41 years now. Uh, but if I'm, don't worry, I'm prepared if they do. But here's the thing people have a hard time getting a grip on. If they call the loan due, there's not a darn thing they can do to you. You don't owe them any money. Not your debt unless you guarantee the loan. And then you're the screwy. I feel like Ron, and you can take this idea, and I really feel like you got to write a book with the Ron Legrand isms. You have so many great taglines and things. You could create a whole book of a hundred of these. And I, I just happen to have a whole pile of them right here, all one place. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you, man. You're really good. Yeah, list off five the top five. Oh, top three. <laughs> he can just spit these off like it's like in a in a, a library in his brain. And to others who have never heard it before, I'm like, holy crap, that's gold. That's gold. Uh, but good. I'm glad you documented that. My, my newest book is called Lessons Learned. What, what is it coming out? Or is it out yet? Yeah. It's on Amazon, isn't it? It's on Amazon now. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Not well, definitely. Thick, but it could have been that thick, but I ran out of steam, man. I, enough is enough. I, can, I tell you that. Can you give uh, us a couple of pearls from that book? Oh, no, there's too many. I think I got <laughs> 32 lessons learned in there or something like that. I'll tell you, was guaranteeing debt. No, don't. That's, that's one of them, yeah. That's the biggest mistake people can make. Lose money, who cares? Make it up on the next one. Guaranteed debt, that'll launch you for years, years. If things go wrong, of course, you know, nobody thinks things are going to go wrong for them. I would highly recommend anybody in the education space who speaks from stage to get that book and kind of just educate yourself a little bit more. There's a lot to learn from Ron. He's seen a lot um, just specifically on the, like, just education sales from the stage, um, how you put your offers, how the promises you pick up, pick up this one because it actually tells you how to make money in real estate. <laughs> put yeah. link there you out. go. We're going to yeah. put those links or we'll get those from your team and put that yeah. in the description below. I of that. I have to sit over here. And just let it go on Amazon. Just add your cart. Add the six books that Ron wrote to your cart. Just push it by. It's, <laughs> it's good to have in your little library over here. Um, yeah. And one thing I think that's also very interesting about Ron, and you know, we're, we're entering a digital era right? Content is kind of king at this moment. And a lot of people struggle, even myself, you know, with creating content on a regular basis. Believe it or not, Ron's a TikTok star and he has a lot of people who are viewing him. And um, 
I'm fully clothed on there too. Just so unfortunately, you know. yeah, it's not yeah. an OnlyFans account. Sorry, y'all. Um, <laughs> TikTok. So, like, you know, even with someone with as much you know experience and reputation, he's still able to kind of make the time, carve out time to create this content. You know, I'm curious. You know, was this easy for you at first? And what was the thing that you had to tell yourself in order to get out there and just be like, okay, fine, let me just join all the other 20 year olds on TikTok? Well, first of all, Frank, um, it's always actually been easy for me because I do nothing but teach what I do. Mm. Therefore, I don't have to do any research. And I know that what I'm saying is the truth because I've lived it. So it's not that hard. It's the fact that every time you create content, you get better and better at it. Mm. And, you know, books, for example, all you do is start by writing uh, the titles to 10 or 12 chapters that you want to put in there, take it to the sequence that you want to get to the end. And a chapter is a newsletter article. You write 10 or 12 newsletter articles, you got a book. I didn't know that. My first book took me a year and a half to write. A year and a half. Man, that's a great tip. My, I, I, I wrote the latest book, uh, Lessons Learned, uh, d during the week I had COVID. Oh, wow. And that uh, don't mean I sat down and worked on it all day either. Just run over a chapter at a time. That's, I think that's really cool because most people, we, when we're in groups together, they're always creating like book funnels or what's my next lead magnet. And it always takes them a year or two to write a book because uh, they overcomplicate it. I think what you just gave out there is absolute gold. I hope you all paid really close attention to that is it's multi-use of your time where you have newsletters that you convert into a book. And while you're making it, you can actually utilize this content to generate or build a list, build reputation. Yeah. Uh, and did you, when you were the last... Um, uh, mastermind did you get a, one of the books is uh, called uh, everything men know about a vagina uh, i'm gonna go open it now this is what i do i i, I move it's easy to read there's nothing in it <laughs> <laughs> okay i just got to think i feel feel sick now uh, i should knew that joke was coming <laughs> well it's true i got a copy of the book it's really there yeah it's all empty i don't know what they did with it I, I got to highly recommend it. If anybody, if you're ever doing a live event and you can get a decent amount of people in there, don't, don't, don't hit up Ron if you got like a room of 20 people. But if you can have a, a decent sized room, definitely have Ron out there to speak. He is one of the most entertaining people I've ever heard on stage. And I think it's just because of how real you are and just maybe that just comes with experience. There's no need to fluff or use these kind of right. tactics or whatever. Uh, I just feel like you're just yourself up there and it's incredibly, um, engaging and i love it man i think you're you're one of the very few out there who has that kind of skill set thank you i'm i'm too old to hey, Ron, can, I, can i ask you a question i know you say you went yeah. through what six or eight cycles right um yeah. i know that we're going we're going through a cycle right now you know in, in your crystal ball what do you think that we're walking into well first of all fortunately there's a lot bigger uh, demand and there's supply for houses out there right now we still have several million shortage i think that's the only thing holding up the housing market I mean, you would think it would be in a deep dive with the interest rates the way they are and inflation the way it is. I mean, that's a recipe for a real disaster. So fortunately, that's not happened yet. What's going to happen uh, depends on a lot of things. Um, one thing, I honestly believe that the interest rates are, start, are going to start coming down before this year is over. They're going to start declining, and that's going to help a lot. Uh, right now, the mortgage business is having a tough time. I mean, I want to get a mortgage at 7% when they just passed up 3% kind of thing, you know? Uh, but I, here's a good thing though. Everyone, every time we have a, a downturn, every single cycle, there's always people who need to sell and other people will need to buy and they'll find a way. When I started in 1982, the prime rate was 
Oh my gosh. I remember sitting in a restaurant with a friend one day and our rates were way up around that time, about 15, 16%. Jeez. And I said to him, I'm wondering if we're ever going to get the rates back down to 10% again. That's that amazing. So, yeah. And, you know, we, 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 you've got to adapt to the market because if you don't, you're not going to be around long. One reason I still do the stuff that I teach because it changes. Market changes constantly. Uh, but I don't think we're ever going to run up a, a need for houses. In fact, um, I tell all of my folks, pray for a recession. Yeah. So that's exactly to a real estate investor. Yeah. It's harder for sellers to sell and harder for buyers to buy. And here we are right in the middle, opening that door, become the gatekeeper. And they got to go through us to get in a house. Because I only put people in houses that can't qualify for a regular mortgage. I mean, you know that's 70% of the market. The market looking for houses, that is. 70% of them can't qualify for a loan. In fact, in the last few, you know, two or three years, it's actually, uh, in 2017, the number that got uh, turned down was 32% after they applied. And today, I think that's up to 38%. But think of this. If 38% applied and got turned down, I promise you there's at least 70% of the people who love to buy a house that don't even apply because they know they're going to get turned down. That's a huge market, all ours, because they don't need credit to get in a house of ours. They just need money. And I tell you that money's not hard to find out there when you put somebody in a home of their own. They always say the largest transfer of wealth happens in these moments. And right now, you know, you have a lot of fence sitters who are probably thinking, hey, save up that cash, uh, wait for that right moment. You know, in your expert opinion, like, is there a right moment? To buy to, a house to jump? If this is my time where I'm about to make a fair swing, I remember my mom, she got into real estate. She's been about 20 years. She started buying around 08, 09. She bought up a ton of properties while people were selling. Uh, yeah, very good for our family. It's really yeah. what allowed us to have the life that we've had. And for those people who are kind of looking for that swing, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but is it a good time to really be stacking up your capital right now? It's always a good time, Frank, as long as you don't guarantee debt and you have a positive cash flow. I tell people, see, we buy with older financing, or I don't use subject too much, but we buy with older financing. Uh, we own the house, so all the goodies come with the house. I don't do this either. I don't pay retail for a house, but I'll tell you some of my favorite. In fact, I'm buying one next week that I paid almost retail for it because I I got it for almost nothing down. That's a decent area, decent house, not very old. I, I don't care about the big deposit as much as I do. I want that asset continually making me uh, richer and richer as it goes. And the uh, safety factor is not guaranteeing the debts. Think about it. You go out and get yourself 50 houses with non-recourse debt. What's the worst can happen? Uh, you lose one, and why are you losing it to begin with? Because the deeper recession we get, the higher rents go, not the lower, the higher, and more people need to rent. So the best thing that happened is real estate investors. You know, as a whole, and as a human, I don't really want a recession, but as a businessman, let it come. Yeah, let absolutely. It come. So let me ask you, I ain't afraid of it this time. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, because you probably don't need it right now, but a lot of people do. People need that cash flow coming in, right? So, would you recommend for the investor out there to use that wholesale to, to for generating the income that everything else is creative financing? That's a good question, because that's exactly what I do. 
you can't go into the marketplace attracting sellers to call you without getting some of them having ugly houses needing rehab and other ones have nice houses, nice neighborhood, need little or nothing. We do both. If it's a rehab, we wholesale it. If it's a decent house, that I, if I buy it on terms, I'm selling it on terms. means I'm putting the lease option tenant buyer in. But if I buy it and he's rehabbed, I don't rehab it. I wholesale it. Because I'll tell you why. I've rehabbed at least 1,000 houses. I just don't want to do them right now. It's um, yeah. a little on the risky side. The value might drop by the time I get that thing done and get out of it. And frankly, you play the numbers, I can get almost as much wholesaling it as I can taking six months to rehab it and cash out to a qualified buyer without all the grief. I, every time I get one, I do those calculations and they all come out the same. You know, I'll take the $40,000 now rather than $60,000 later. And uh, that's, you know, we, we, we have, we've done several this year, a couple, at least I know, have chopped over 40 grand on a wholesale deal. I think we just got another one under contract to do the same thing. When you make $40,000 and never buy a house, uh, it's very okay. But the wholesalers are going down that rabbit hole every day. That's all they know. That's all they care. They let all the real money go away because they don't understand the terms business. And that's where the real wealth is. And I can get as much money usually from a non-refundable option deposit, put a tenant buyer in the house as I can wholesaling, and sometimes more, and almost as much as I can if I rehab it and retail it. But then the wealth keeps on going. I call them golden geese. They just keep laying golden eggs month after month after month, year after year. And anybody that had properties in the last three years did right well. Yeah, that that makes a strong case for keeping them. Absolutely. I think what continues to, to fascinate me when I talk to wholesalers, especially when they're like, oh, it's costing me this much, you know, this many months to turn this many dollars into a, a positive ROI. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like, well, what are you doing with the leads you're not doing? Are you working with a creative finance person, someone who's doing lease options? I bet they can turn those leads, those dead, your AKA dead leads into gold. Why do you think there's so much resistance to the, with wholesalers to kind of collaborate with people who are using creative finance? Well, I understand why the men don't do it. Because the last thing a man's going to do is follow instructions. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's time testosterone was built. They didn't know that we knew about it. I think they got a pill for it. But that's true. Real, real round, we can for make sure. it rounder. It's a man thing. That's all. I just don't want to take the time to learn terms business. They get all these misconceptions about it. They have no idea what they're thinking. And and literally, they truly, you cannot find wholesale deals without finding terms deals. It's just that stuff. You can't. They're coming to you. and Because they're all going out and getting it from FISBOs. Um, MLS is starting to come back a little. I mean, I'd laid off the MLS for, since 2016. You couldn't get a deal out of there wasting your time. And most yep. of them are overpriced to this very day. But there are some pearls in there if you work them. I'll uh, back to them now. Uh, but you know, in there, I'm not looking. I'm not looking for terms deals. I'm looking for, remember, buy cash, sell for cash, buy on terms, sell on terms. But you're going to get them both. You don't take advantage of both of them. You truly, are walking over the dollars to get to the dimes. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you have your uh, acquisition guys. Are do you have guys that specifically only do creative financing, or do you train them both? Got one guy. My whole team is one guy, and my executive assistant Tish. That's it. It's my whole team. And wow. both um, Tish has a whole lot of stuff uh, going on. She spends very little time in the real estate part. And uh, my acquisitionist is actually my partner. Uh, I made my partner, which is probably a good lesson we should talk about. Uh, but uh, he does everything at that is, is concerning with real estate. She does everything that's admin. I do nothing except look at it as it passes through and okay, a purchase or a sale now and then. 
Would you recommend it for other people that have a team? I don't know how they're going to get where they want to go without one. You can't do this. Well, no, I mean, for him to just focus on creative financing, like have guys to just focus on buying. For the same reason, the leads, you know, sometimes you don't even need what, I mean, don't even know what the lead's going to be to get on the phone. So you work on both. It's not that hard. When he came to me, he understood the junker business per se. He didn't understand terms business at all, but he's getting it now. I mean, he's learning uh, as he goes. And I made him my partner, which simply means he gets half the upfront profit on every deal we do. If I have money in, I get that back and we split the difference. But then I get the houses because I'm in it for the houses. I'm not in it for the upfront money. I, I mean, I want it. Helps pay bills. But I'm in it for the houses. I know that they are way more valuable than a few thousand dollars up front. And again, we don't put a tenant buyer in a house unless we get a minimum of five and usually closer to 10% of the purchase price not down and, and that's non-refundable. And decent houses don't have any trouble getting it. Yeah. Is there a buy box that you typically stay in uh, or, you know, our area or stuff like that? Well, I, I personally, I just buy here in Jacksonville, but I work with students all over the country. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference where the house is. You Never like for, for lease options though. You said you like, I'll keep the nicer ones for those, right? Or I'll keep the nicer yeah. one. Yeah. 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 It's usually the low end houses that get wholesale and the mid to higher end houses that get uh, lease options. Okay. Talk about there. Let's circle back to where you say you made him a partner. We should talk about that. Now, I would love to talk about why you made people partners. I'm sure I'm assuming you have a series of partners, right? No, not in real estate. He's the only one. Uh, I'll tell you, I learned a long time ago, if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. <laughs> and this guy already came to me uh, knowledgeable about the junker business. So it wasn't a big giant leap. And we got him started immediately. Literally on the first two wholesale deals that he brought in, we netted $82,000 on and never touched the house, never bought the house. So... Starting out with those numbers, he'll do right well. But, you know, some, I had acquisitions. I've had several. I think the last one I was paying $2,000 per deal. Uh, I think brought in several deals, tons of deals actually. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, don't, I just don't feel right uh, not paying them what they're worth because it's pretty easy for me to figure out that if they don't get a deal, I don't get any money either. So I get mad yeah, front I, now. Acquisition yeah. is always a problem for most people. You know what I mean? And they, I think the industry standard is 15% or, or something like that, but it's just like a revolving door. I don't, you know, know. I, I don't know there is an industry standard. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but to fix that for most people, you're like, hey, pay them well, which, as you should, right? Or make them a partner. Yeah, but think about it. I don't ever write a check out of my pocket to pay comes out of the money he brings in the tape. I think that's, there's like a lot of, well, I'm, I try to look for the the underlying like lesson here for myself personally. That's why I love having, you know, guests who have cost so much is there's so many personal lessons we can learn, you know, you know, kind of tapping back into the earlier vein of people who've worked with you for a long time. You know, you've taken greed out of the equation. You take care of your people, you know, you take care of me, you take care of your people. And mm-hmm. What I've also noticed in your education, I want to kind of shift the conversation to the education side because you've accomplished so much there. You have a you have a live event business. Many of your coaches today were students of yours before. So for those out there, yeah, a lot of them who are growing and like who are just at the start of it, who are growing their education business, you know, how did you kind of get your students to kind of shift into that mindset and 
the follow-up question to that would be is how, you know, obviously you've dealt with people who have tried to branch off and try to become your competitors, but I would feel like most of the people stick with you and want to help you grow your vision more rather than branch off. How do you accomplish that? You're right. Most of them. (laughs) And they're also right. I I trained a lot of my competition. Um, I mean, it it paid me to train them, but there's still competition. Right. Because I never did worry about competition, Frank, not even back in the early days when I was in the house business. I, I didn't have time to worry about them. Too busy trying to make a living. And, you know, I realized I, they none of them going to be doing what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, to whom I'm doing it, the way I'm doing it. Anyway, why I worry about them? Make them worry about me. Oh, and I guess that attitude just held over into um, to the information marketing business and the training business. I, I, I can't stop competition from doing what they want to do. And sometimes they become uh, allies. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes we have to whack them because <laughs> they're trying to, you know, to build a business around everything that I taught them and now they become competition and the customer knows, does not know the difference. So, uh, you know, I'm still not mad at them. I just can't promote them. Right. Uh, and, they're, and they're not going to promote me. So uh, competition is something I never really worried about. I mean, I seems like everybody else does, but it never bothered me a bit. I think really great. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. I learned a long time ago. Every time I lose a deal, there's a better one right behind it. I think we could summarize that to an abundance mindset. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, when you're in the education, I, I so, so, so many people scared, like, well, if I teach this person, they're going to go out there and create a product or if they do. And I, I just constantly get challenged by like that's that, my, that mentality of like, why would you hold yourself yeah. back with that thought process? To your point, you're, you're on a fast moving train, always looking ahead, whatever these people are doing behind you are still constantly behind you. So I think yeah. it's really, it's very interesting how you continue to grow while spinning off competition. But what I also like to focus on is you have a live event business. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you attend a lot of these yourself, but you also have coaches or students who have promoted within who are running some of these events independently of you. Is that correct? Uh, no, if they're running the events independently with me, they're not my coaches for us anymore. Well, so, I mean, under your under your your brand, under Global Publishing, your brand. Oh, um, where are you at all your events? I have a couple of students that are actually got their own brand, but are very working with us, but they don't sell what I sell. Oh, I got you. I so, got you. you know, I tell them, get your specialty down, and I help you. You try to sell everything we sell, then I can't obviously not work with you. And of course, everybody that comes into this training industry underestimates how much work it is. <laughs> and, and you know, when people come and they want to stand on a platform and sell something, they had no idea how much work and time and money goes into filling that platform. Uh, so most of them don't last to begin with. What advice would you have for those who are trying to get into the live event business? You know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what your answer is to this. But... All right. Want, you want a self-serving answer to that? <laughs> yes, yes. A few years ago, my friend and mentor, Dan Kennedy, and a couple other guys that I can't remember, created a three-day seminar on how to become a promoter uh, in this industry. And uh, that's this as good as it was today. I mean, it was several years old, and it's so much stuff in there. Not to mention this was a uh, Comedy Central. That was Dan Kennedy and other three other guys up there. Uh, and uh, that thing, I get read reviews about that thing to this very day. We did another one on how to become a speaker. And then we did one on promoters, contact our office. I, I guess we still sell those, don't we, Nick? <laughs> uh, DVDs? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, they are Davy now. Are those, uh, are those on, uh, let me go. Let me go dust mine off over here. Oh, and can I watch these on their phone? Yeah, we have we have both uh, available for on CD and DVD. We might be able to dig up some for you somewhere. Uh, but we do have them on online as well. Maybe we can get them some uh, eight tracks too. While we're at it. Jeez. Oh, hey, those you things know, are I, working I, a lot now. I'm telling you, retro is in. Retro is in. You know, I used to buy eight tracks. Okay. <laughs> well, I believe it. I, I do. I believe it. <laughs> I <remember> <laughs> um, so, one thing I also like to tap into, and, you know, we're all, you know we're all businessmen too, but we're also fathers, and you're obviously a, a grandfather of a huge, you know, downline is what I would call it. You know, I would love to know your advice on just, you know, how to stay happy in a marriage for as long as you have. And, you know, at the, you're kind of the, what's the, the patriarch of your family, you know, at which point kind of you, did you kind of shift? Cause you were building a business. I'm sure your family, your wife had to deal with the aspects of you building that business. You know, any lessons learned throughout that process, you know, as people are at the beginning of this kind of journey? Yeah. Yeah. I got plenty of lessons. By the way, just learned day before yesterday that I now have one great, great grandchildren. Wow. How do you feel about that? Oh, very old. <laughs> but uh, 14 grand, no, nine grands, 14 greats, and now one great, great. Wow. So it keep on coming. One of the mistakes that I made when I was starting in real estate business, even before that, I mean, it was, I always had to work so hard to make a good living. I mean, it's constantly working. Didn't spend enough time with my children when they were growing up, and I would caution all parents that, to spend more time with your children, regardless of all the stuff you got on your mind. And I, all I could think about was making more money, making more money. I, because I, I, I just didn't have the answers back then, and I certainly didn't have the income. So you know, uh, today I look at families that spend a lot of time with their children, and I envy them. Uh, they got their head in the right place. How was your relationship with your kids? Were you able to overcome that? Not spending the time. I certainly didn't. They weren't on the bad side of me. I'm not sure how to describe my relationship. They were my kids. I was their dad. (laughs) Of course, they never did anything I asked them to do. Is that what you mean? (laughs) I still don't, if that makes you feel any better. I don't think that it changed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't think it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it's just the the natural rebellion of a child and his parents is just. I'll tell you, when they grow up, you learn all kinds of stuff that they did that you didn't know when they were young. And thank God he didn't know that, right? I learned. I learned that, that one of my daughters stole my car one day, one night, and I didn't even know it. Twenty years learned that one. You know, this is actually pretty interesting regarding that. And I think you know, this is your life. This is your business. This is your finances. Your wealth. You know, most kids who are you know under that umbrella sometimes think that's my wealth too. Like, how did you separate that line between? Oh, this is my wealth. You got to create your own. I know. I heard you on stage once talking about that. And, you know, I would love to know your opinions on just how parents well, should, should handle when that. I teach, when I teach the entity structuring, estate planning stuff, I don't, I don't go too deep into it, but I try to get everybody to do it and get it done. And then I tell them what my estate looks like for my children and my grandchildren. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one, but uh, this is a <laughs> question. Let's go ahead. I do not believe that parents ought to leave their kids a great big chunk of money. I don't, I agree with you. They didn't do anything to earn it. Two, they'll squander it. And if they have any relationship to drugs, it'll probably kill them. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, you know, I, nobody left me a darn thing. 
I had to work for everything in a half. So I got it in my children. I got a children's trust and a grandchildren's trust. Okay, I got nine grandchildren and three children and children's trust. So that's 12 pieces. So when both of us are gone, everything is going down into those two trusts. However, I have two provisions that I thought of that um, my attorney put in there. One, uh, they'll each get $25,000 a year, and that's all they get. Okay. Uh, from me. And to get that, they first have to prove that they've earned at least twenty-five before they can get my twenty-five. Fair. And other exceptions, like you know, husband working, wife not, or wife um, uh, handicapped, or whatever. There's exceptions that the attorneys put in there. Right. And a second provision is that they have to be drug tested every year, and if they fail, they got six months to get clean, or they lose their inheritance for life. I like that one. Yeah. You know, I like that. They bring that there. Very, very few families are going to have that many children and grandchildren. Well, some of them get attached to drugs along the way. So it's just a little safety factor. I, I heed that advice. And I just had this conversation with my own mom and they're like, well, you know, we're, we want to make sure you're okay. And, and because of you guys and the people who have taught this over time, I'm always passive listening, passively listening. And I literally told them, I want you to die with zero. You've already raised my brother and myself yeah. with the skills to learn how to make money yep. independent of you. And I think that's just a huge lesson that parents need to learn is that there's a level of responsibility and then there's a, there, and then there's an eventual handoff. It's not a, yep. not a hand to be out. There's a handoff. And I think it's really important what you just said there. And I hope people revisit their wills and reestablish that and spend more of their hard earned money on themselves versus feel like they have to you know, set a large portion of the side to make sure their next generation is taken care of. Because I think there is so much more negative that can actually come from that. I wish I could be here when they learn this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you can find solace in the fact that you you will because uh, mm -hmm. of these parameters you put in place, right? It's not their decision anymore. You've taken that kind of out of their hands, which is, I yeah. think, that that's, I think, the biggest gift you can give them, honestly, financially. You know, I did the same thing for the administrator of our estate when both of us are gone. I had a hard time trying to figure out who I wanted that to be. Started with my older brother, but he's 84 years old. He ain't the right guy. Uh, <laughs> you know what I finally decided? Let the law firm that created all the docs be the trustee. No emotion. Uh, the kids aren't going to talk them into anything, and it's never going to die because if the firm goes out of business, they have to give it to another firm to administer. So now we don't have that human having the burden of taking on that responsibility either. I'm going to borrow that because we're about, I, I have a two-year-old right now. And I told my wife, we got to work on my will because we don't have one right now. And I think these are some pro tips I'm going to apply to my life right now. So thank you for that, Ron. You got to work on more than a will. Oh, I got to do asset protection, trust, all that stuff. I'm, I'm just now beginning that journey uh, as I'm in that kind of Wealth growth, grow, wealth and growth phase of my life. So what I'm like, what yeah. 30, well, 30 time to get it done and not put it off any longer. Yeah, you got to go to a reputable, reputable firm to do it. You have a recommendation? Well, yeah, I got my guy here off, offline. I'll give you his number. Right, on. and then a lot of my students are using uh, Bob Bloom out of Dallas, who does it nationwide, and he does a really good job of it. Very good job. Yep. We'll get you guys uh, Bob's information too, because I know I got my LLC set up with Bob and he does everything by the book to the T and I appreciate his diligence. But 
I got to tell you, I, I, I've had such a blast today, Ron. You know, I know I really do value your time today. I don't know if you have any other more questions for him, Mike. You know, I, I'm good, it's, man. It's, I appreciate you, Ron. Absolutely. Thanks Thank you. So, lots of resources to put in description. We'll give you the links to the, some of Ron's books that we mentioned during today's podcast. Uh, thank you so much for your advice regarding family, business, and really just an all-encompassing call today. And man, I've learned a lot. I appreciate working with you and what you've built. You have a phenomenal team. No one else out there, like I tell people all the time of all these other clients, it's like, he's like, who's your best one, Frank? It's like, believe it or not, it's Ron. I tell him with surprise because I'm like, one, I've, one, I never really talked to Ron in like the two, two and a half years. You heard Nick's voice on the side there. And it just constantly impresses me with the kind of culture you've created and the, and the love you have from your team. And that's just such a rare, rare, rare thing to find uh, with any of the people that I work with. And so I believe you've definitely set a status in our space. And I hope people continue to look up to what you've created. Uh, it really is a good um, litmus for where to build your business towards. So that's where I'm at. You know, I appreciate your time today. Mike, any uh, final words for our guest today? That's it. It was a pleasure meeting you, Ron. And thanks for your wisdom. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Tune in next time, and we'll see you on the next one. So that's a wrap. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you received value from this episode. If so, please share this podcast with your friends so we can help more people just like you. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, IG, and YouTube at Real Talks. That's R-E-I-L Talks. So until next time, keep it cool and keep it real.